And it, I don't know how it would be for you, but when I hear it, it has such an impact. But it's very nice just to listen to it. And I know my accent makes it more difficult. So you've got the text to go back to. Yeah? So when I'm reading, because of the mic, I might just keep my head more straightforward, just so you really hear it. Yes? And a couple of things about the text. What I'm using in reading it is Venerable Sadatissa's translation. And there are other translations presently available, but this is the one I think works best for practitioners. But rumour has it there are two new translations being done, but they're not yet available. So whether they're available this year, next year, the year after, I'm not sure. But um, Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi, one of our great Dharma protectors, is evidently working on a translation. Which is very exciting. So, for now, there's Venerable Sarhatesis, and in my discussion of it, I'll use some of the other translations. I also have brought with me a copy of the Pali. So, if any of you are comfortable reading Pali and would like to read it in the original, that's possible. Yeah. Just let me know. So, I put Venerable Sadhatissa's photograph on the shrine. So we have a sense of who who we're hearing the Buddha's voice through. Because that's like a translation is another filter in a way. And why I wanted to work directly with the text is Often if we're, you know, someone's just speaking and talking about the Dharma, we're working through another filter. And it's very lovely, I find, to come as close as to the Buddha's voice as we possibly can. And then some translating, you know, exploration is really helpful. And what's very exciting about this particular text it's seen as one of the oldest. It comes from a time when the Buddha was first teaching. So the teaching is not codified. It, it hasn't come down into kind of formula in the same way. So it's accessible in a very different way. It has a beauty. Yes. And just so you know a little about Venerable Sadhatissa, so you have a sense of whose filter are we hearing it through. You know, they will have other translations. I just wanted to read a little bit about him. Yeah. So, born in Sri Lanka in 1914. He became a monk at the age of 12. He did a tremendous amount of translation. And he was president of the Mahabodhi Society. So he was widely read, widely travelled, 
and my understanding, um, you know, that great movement in India of the untouchables, um, Ambedkar, that whole movement, Venerable Sahatissa was a leading force in that. The, the, I think it was a million untouchables that took refuge in the Buddha in the last century. So, someone, Russell Webb comments on him. To meet the Venerable Dr. Sadhatissa is it to enter into a calming atmosphere where a basic, kindly spirit, devoid of material considerations, manifests itself. A serenity and warmth of feeling are ever displayed, which must surely characterise the inner detachment of someone far advanced on the path of enlightenment. So you just have a sense of who this man is that we're working with as we read this translation. So some of you I know have been reading it, which is wonderful. You are familiar with the text. For others it'll be new, which is also wonderful. And as you listen, you know, we'll we'll explore it in more depth over the coming days, but it has a kind of arc. So you it begins with a prologue where you kind of get the scene set. You know, Bavari is an elderly Brahmin who has an event happen and it, this leads to hold seeking. So then his disciples go to find the Buddha. They ask a series of questions, the Buddha responds, and then one of the older ones of them, Pingya, goes back to Bavari. This is the prologue. So it's the sense that a, a community goes to see the Buddha. Now they're not monks, they're Brahmins, but they're definitely renunciant in the sense that they talk about their matted hair and their hide robes. So they're you know, practicing in some way, but under a particularly a different kind of understanding. So they set out. So, let's begin. Actually, does anyone know the invitation to the Devatas? Do you? No? No, all right. Well, it's just, well, if you'd like to just make some evocation, because historically, when texts are read, it's very important to have the sense that there are all kinds of beings who want the opportunity to hear them. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think I do know what the, the full yeah. All right. Well, it may have been a little English invitation. Maybe yeah, it's just simple. Okay. Um, may all the forces of good in this place um, we welcome you to uh, join in listening to the Buddha's teachings. Sadhu.
Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa Uthang dhamang sanghang namasam So the Parayana Sutta the way to the beyond. So, the prologue. One day a person walked out of the beautiful city of Sarvati in Kosala. It was Bhavari the Brahman, one versed in the Vedic mantras. He had set out on the southern road in search of detachment. He travelled till he came to the land of the Asakas, and there, where it met the Alakas land on the banks of the river Godavari, he stayed living off fruit and whatever else he could gather. One day, begging in a rich village nearby, he was given such a quantity of gifts that he was able to hold a great offering ceremony. He had finished the rituals and got back to his hut when another Brahmin arrived at the door. He was thirsty, covered with dust and stains on his teeth and swellings on his feet. He came up to the hermit and begged to be given 500 pence worth of money. As soon as the hermit saw the visitor, he made him sit down. After he had asked after his health and happiness, he told the man he couldn't help. You see, Brahman, I have given away everything I've been given. Please forgive me, but I haven't got 500 pence. You have rejected the pleadings of a beggar, said the visitor. May your head split into seven in seven days' time as a result of this refusal. And then, before he left, the rascal chanted spells and laid a formal curse on Bavari and the Brahman to the Brahman's great distress. In the days that followed, the Brahman's pain increased. The sadness and grief were like darts in his side. He couldn't eat. He just wasted away. He couldn't even settle his mind in meditation. But a friendly goddess spirit saw him in his suffering and fear, and so she came to his hut and talked to him. He was only an imposter, that man, she said, trying to make easy money. Besides, he was ignorant. He knows nothing about the head and nothing about head splitting. (laughs) Goddess, said the Brahman, if he doesn't know, then who does? If you understand head splitting, then please tell me all about it. I have to understand it. No, said the spirit, I can't help you. I don't know a thing about it. The only people who know about things like that are conquerors. Well then, goddess, said the Brahman, you must tell me who in the world I can go to who will know. And this is how the goddess replied. In the line of the great king, Okaka, a boy has been born in the Sakyas. He's gone out of the capital, Kaplavatu. He's gone into the world as a leader and a light. This man, Brahman, has total enlightenment. This man has total perfection. This man has the power of total knowledge, the eye of total vision. He has found the total ending. He has lost 
with a basic grasping and he is free. He is enlightenment. He is a Buddha. He is a Lord, a master of blessings for the world. He has the eye of vision and he teaches the way things are. Go to him and ask your questions. He will explain it all. When Bhavari heard the word Sambhuta, the name for total enlightenment, he was lifted to the heights of joy. As his sorrow quietened down, he felt immense delight taken over. The gladness and joy made him eager and deeply thrilled. Where, he asked the goddess, does this world guide live? Which village is he in? Which town? Which state? Let's go and honour this man, this ultimate being. The conqueror lives in Savati in Kosa, said the goddess. This Sakyan is a wealth of wisdom and a world of knowledge. He's unharnessed and undefiled. He is the strength of a hero, of a bull. He is the one to ask about head splitting. <laughs> so Bhavari the Brahmin called his pupils together, all of them versed in the Vedic mantras too. Come here, Brahmin students, he said, and listen to this. I have something to tell you. Something has happened, something that really takes place in this world. A Sambhuta has arrived. Yes, a man has been born in the world who is now recognised as fully enlightened. Brahmins, you must go immediately to Savati to see this perfect being. But Brahmins, sir, said the students, how can we go if we don't know what enlightenment looks like? Tell us, sir, how to recognise it. The ancient teaching, said the Brahman, listed each one of the 32 marks of greatness on a superperson. When a person is born with these marks on their body, then we can say that one of two things will happen to them, that they have two choices open to them and no more. They can choose the life of a lay person, the home life. Then they will conquer the world, not by force, but by virtue. Or they can choose to leave their home, to live as a homeless wanderer. And then they will become a Sambhuta, a person of worth, a fully enlightened, incomparable one. Now, when you think you've found this person, you must ask questions in your mind about my age, my family, my body marks, my rituals and my pupils. And ask about head splitting too. If he is the Buddha with perfect penetrating vision, then he will answer aloud the questions you asked in your minds. As Bhavari talked, his Brahmin students listened. There were 16 of them, all of them famous teachers in their own right, namely Ajitta, Tesametya, Punika, Metagu, Dotika, Upasiva, Nanda, Hemaka, Todiya, Kappa. Jatakani, the scholar, Bhadravada, Udaya, Posala, Mogaraja, the learned, and the great teacher Pingya, the wise. All of them were there. They were all well known as teachers and as men who found their enjoyment in life through the meditation practice. They were people, it was said, 
who had not lost the scent of their previous good deeds. When Vivari had finished his instructions to them, they carefully paid their respects and walked past him to his right. With their hide robes and their plaited braids of hair, they set off towards the south. They travelled through the land of the Alakas, coming first to Patahana, then to Mahasati, Ajini, Gonadaka, on they went to Vidisa, Vanasa, to Kolsambi, to Sarketa, till they came to the greatest of all cities, Sarwati. From there they set out again, this time for the land of Magadha. They passed on their way through Setia, Kaplavatu, in the town of Kushnara. They went on to Pava, to Boganagara, the city of wealth, and then to the Sali, where they came to the beautiful Pasanaka Chetia, the rock temple. They climbed up the mountain path with the zeal and the haste of a merchant drawn to wealth, or a thirsty man to cool water, or a man with sunstroke to shave. And there, with the community gathered all around him, sat the Lord, the Blessed One. He was explaining the Dharma to them. The lion was roaring in the jungle. Ajita saw the person of full enlightenment. It was like the sun shining without burning. It was like the moon bright and full on a full moon day. He sat, he could see all the signs of greatness clearly marked on his body. Astonished and overjoyed, he stood respectfully to one side and silently thought the first question. Tell me, he said in his mind, how old my teacher is. Tell me what his family name is. Tell me how many marks of greatness he has got, how well versed he is in the Vedic mantras, and how many does he teach. He is a hundred and twenty years old, said the master aloud. His family name is Bavari. He has three of the body marks. He has complete knowledge of the three Vedas. And also of the commentaries, the rituals and the signs. He instructs 500. He has reached the ultimate stage according to his teaching. Describe Bavari's body marks, Master Man, Desire Cutter said Ajita silently, so that we have no room at all for doubt. These are his three body marks, young man, said the master. His tongue is large enough to cover his mouth. There is a tuft of hair growing between his eyebrows, and his foreskin completely covers the palace. Everyone could hear the master talking to someone they could not see. Who was asking these questions they couldn't hear? Was it some god, they wondered? Was it Indra, Brahma, or Saka? Who was the master talking to? Astonished, they made their folded hand gesture in respect. Meanwhile, Ajita was asking another question. Bavari asked about heads, master, he thought, and about how they split. Please, great teacher, answer this question too. The head, said the master, is not understanding. The head is split in pieces and destroyed by understanding. 
with its army of pals and support, confidence, mindfulness, meditation, and determination, energy. These are the pals that split heads. With the thrill of exultation stiffening every pore of his body, the young Brahmin student bared his shoulder from his hide and got down on the ground at the feet of the master. Sir, he said with his head lowered, Lord, Seer, Bavari the Brahmin and all his followers are filled with joy and delight. We have come to offer you honour and reverence here at your feet. May Bavari, the Brahmin and all his followers be happy, said the master. May you too be happy, young man, and may your life be long. For Bavari, for you and for all of your group, there are many different doubts and confusions. You now have the opportunity to ask about them. Ask now whatever you want to know. The man of full enlightenment had given Ajita permission. So the Brahman student respectively sat down, made the folded hands gesture and addressed his first question to the thus gone Tathagata. So, Ajita's question. What is it, said Ajita, that smothers the world? What makes the world so hard to see? What would you say pollutes the world? And what threatens it most? It is ignorance that smothers, said the Master, and it is carelessness and greed which make the world invisible. The hunger of desire pollutes the world, and the great source of fear is the pain of suffering. In every direction, said Ajitta, the rivers of desire are running. How can we dam them, and what will hold them back? What can we use to close the floodgates? Any river can be stopped with the dam of mindfulness, said the Buddha. I call it the flood stopper. And with wisdom, you can close the floodgates. Sir, said Ajitta, where there is wisdom and mindfulness, there is also the hybrid of mind and matter. What brings it all to a halt? This is the answer to your question, Ajitta, said the Master. Individually, individuality can be brought to a total end by the cessation of consciousness. Sir, said Ajitta, there are people here who have mastered all the teachings, and there are students and apprentices and ordinary people too. Tell me how these people should live and work. Let them be like a wanderer, said the Buddha, mindful and skillful in every way. They should free themselves from pleasure hunger and make their minds calm and undisturbed. Then the Brahman Tithamitya asked the Buddha some questions. Who in the world is happy, he asked. Is there anyone who is at full of agitation? Is there anyone who can understand the alternatives without getting stuck in the thinking between them? Who would you say deserves the title super-being? Who is there who isn't caught up in the patchwork world of grief? 
There is a person who is not full of agitation, answered the Buddha. It is the practitioner whose actions in a sensuous world are pure and good. They do not have the thirst of craving. They never lose mindfulness. And they have, by their own decision, become extinguished and calm. They understand the alternatives without being stuck in the thinking between them. This is whom I would call a super-being, a person beyond the patchwork world greed. Punaka. The Brahmin student Punaka was the next to speak. I have come, he said, to ask a question of the one without desire, the one with root-depth vision. It is this master that I would like you to explain. Why is it that wise people in the world, the Brahmins, the rulers and others, have always offered sacrifices to the gods? These people, said the Buddha, were always making offerings to gods because, as they grew older, they wanted to preserve their lives as they were. But, Master, said Punaka, did they ever get, get beyond old age and birth by making these careful offerings? Their prayers, said the Buddha, their praises, their offerings and aspirations were all made on a basis of possession, of reward. They longed for sensual pleasure. These people were experts in offering, were delighting in the passion of becoming. These people could not go beyond getting old and being born. You must explain this to me, Master, said Punaka. If all the offerings of the experts couldn't get them beyond ageing and birth, then who of all people, who of all the gods, has ever managed to go beyond? When a person has assessed the world from top to bottom, the Master said, when there is nothing in the world that raises a flicker of agitation, when they have become a person free from the smoke fumes, the tremblings and hunger of desire, they have become calm, they have gone beyond getting old, they have gone beyond being born. Metagu. Then the Brahmin student Metagu asked his question. Master, he said, you are clearly a mind of full development and a master of knowledge. Where on earth do all the different kinds of suffering come from? This is a question, said the Master, about the birth and growth of suffering. I will answer it in a way that I myself have found it, which is this. All the different forms of suffering develop on the basis of clinging. When a person does not realise this, they make the basic attachment. The sluggish mind will undergo suffering. When a person realises this, they should not make that attachment, seeing where suffering starts and grows. That clearly answers what I asked, sir, said Metagu. Please answer this one too for me, because of your certain knowledge. Why do wise, how do wise people cross the ocean? How can they get beyond the ageing process? How can they go beyond birth? or sadness, or sorrow. The Master replied, I will explain to you the truth, not based on hearsay. First, 
realized that this way is one which can be known here and now, as a result of which a mindfully living person releases their hold on the world. Master teacher method, you said, for me there can only be joy and delight to hear you talk about a supreme way, which when a mindfully living person knows it, releases their hold on the world. The Master continued, In every direction there are things you know and recognise, above, below, around and within. Leave them. Do not look to them for rest or relief. Do not let consciousness dwell on the products of existence, on things that come and go. This is how the wandering disciple lives. They go from place to place mindful and resolute. They do not they do without cherished objects and come to understand the world. So they leave ageing and birth behind. They leave sadness and sorrow behind. They let go of suffering here itself. These great words of wisdom are full of joy for me, said Metagu. Gautama's description of non-attachment is perfect. This master clearly has let go of suffering. He has found and understood just as it is the way things work. The people whom you, the Wisdom Master, regularly teach will certainly lose suffering. As for me, I have come here to honour you, to bow down before you, a hero. I ask you, Master, to give me frequent teachings. The Master answered, When you are aware that a person is a Brahmin, a master of knowledge, a person with nothing, a creature with no ties to being or to pleasure, then, Metagu, you have found an ocean crosser, a traveller beyond the deserts and the doubts, a voyager who's reached the other shore. This is a knower, a master of knowledge, an adept who has dissipated the pull of constant becoming, a person who has lost the clinging, the trembling and the hunger of desire. This, I would say, is the person who has gone beyond getting old, have gone beyond being born. The Brahmin student Dotika was next to speak. Master, he said, I so much want to hear you speak. Please, Master Teacher, explain to me, can a student of your teaching find the calm of Nibbana for themselves? Any student of my teaching, said the Buddha, who is eager, intelligent and aware, here and now can find a calm of sensation for themselves. I can see now, said Dotika, that there is in this world a person who is nothing, a Brahman, a wanderer. I bow down and honour you, sir, the eye that sees everything. Please, free me from my confusion. It is not my practice to free anyone from confusion, said the Buddha. When you have understood the most valuable teachings, then you yourself will cross the ocean. Have pity on me, Brahman, sir, said Dautika. Please teach me the way of detachment, so that I can know it as it is, so that I can live in this life in a peace and independence that is as free as a bird in space. I will explain that peace which is not based on hearsay and is attainable here and now. 
It is a peace which, when a mindful person understands it, releases their hold on the world. Master teacher, said Dotika, can only bring me joy to hear about an ultimate peace which, when a mindful person understands it, releases their hold on the world. In every direction, said the Buddha, above, below, around and within, there are things you know and recognise. When you realise that these are the things which tie you to the world, then you can lose the thirst of craving, the desire for constant becoming. The Brahmin student Upasiva asked a question. Man of Sakya, he said, it is not possible for me to cross the massive ocean alone and without help. You are the eye that sees everything. Please tell me what I can use to help me cross the ocean. The master told Upasiva, use these two things to help you cross the ocean. The perception of nothingness and awareness that there is nothing. Give up sense pleasure, be free from doubts, so you will begin to see and to long for an end to craving. Master, when a person is free from attachment or pleasure, depends on nothingness and everything else they let go of, are they freed in the supreme freedom from perception? Or will they permanently be there and not return again? When a person is free, said the Buddha, from all sense pleasure and depends on nothingness, they are free in the supreme freedom from perception. They will stay there, not return again. Master, you have the eye that sees everything, said Upasiva. If this person stays many years in the state without returning, will they be called and freed from, freed from there themselves? Say whether consciousness will still exist in such a person. It is like a flame struck by a sudden gust of wind, said the Buddha. It is a flash, it has gone out. Nothing more can be known about it. It is the same with a wise person freed from mental existence. In a flash they have gone out. Nothing more can be known about them. Please explain this clearly to me, sir, said Upasiva. You, a wise man, know precisely the way things work. Has the person disappeared? Do they simply not exist? Or is it that they are in some state of perpetual well-being? When a person has gone out, then there is nothing by which you can measure them. That by which they can be talked about is no longer there for them. You cannot say that they do not exist. When all ways of being, all phenomena are removed, then all ways of description have also been removed. The next of the Brahman students was to speak with Nanda. This is what he asked. Many people, he said, talk of wise people who they say are living in the world. What do you think about this? When they call someone wise, are they talking about their knowledge or about the way they live? To the experts, said the master, the world wise has nothing to do with the way a person sees things, but with what he has been taught, with what he understands. To me, Nanda, a wise person is one who is disarmed. They live in seclusion without the tremble and hunger of desire. Then, master, said Nanda, there is another question I must ask you. 
All religious teachers and Brahmins have talked about the way to the pure. Some have said that purity comes from worldviews and from teachings. Some have said it comes from good deeds and religious rituals. Others have said it comes from other things. Would you say, sir, that these people living in this world who have taught these things have gone beyond birth and ageing? I would say this about religious teachers who teach that views and teachings or deeds and rituals or anything else will make you pure. I would say that these people living in this world have not gone beyond birth and ageing. But Master, said Nanda, these people who teach the purity, the purity comes from views and teachings or deeds and rituals and other things. These people are religious leaders and you say they are not ocean crossers. I must ask you another question, sir. Can you, a wise person, say who in this world has gone beyond birth and ageing? I do not say that all religious teachers and Brahmins are wrapped in the shroud of birth and ageing, said the Buddha. There are some who have let go of world views, of teaching traditions, of thoughts. They have let go of religious practices and rituals. They have let, left all the different forms behind and they have a total understanding of attachment. For them there are no inner poison drives. These truly are ocean crosses. How perfect is the Wisdom Master's explanation. It fills me with joy to hear it and to hear that there are people who have let go of views, of traditions of thought, of practices and rituals, of all the different forms and these people have a total understanding of attachment. They have lost inner poison drive. These are the person whom I too would call ocean crosses. Hemaker was next to speak. Before Gautama began to teach, he said, all teachings I had heard had only said, this is the way things used to be. This is the way they're going to be. Everything was based on tradition and hearsay that just increased my doubts. So please now, Wisdom Master, explain to me the way you teach to put an end to craving. Explain to me the way you teach which when a mindful living person knows it, releases their hold on the world. The removal of desire and passion for pleasant things, seen, heard or cognized, is a sure path for the realization of Nibbana. Understanding this, those who are mindful have attained this tranquility of complete Nibbana in this immediate life. They are calmed forever. They have crossed detachment the world. The Brahman student Todia spoke next. What, sir, is the nature of freedom? He questioned the master. When one has no more desire for pleasure, goes beyond doubt and lives without craving. A person has no desire, said the Buddha, who has gone beyond doubt and who lives without craving, has indeed found the final freedom. For them there is nothing more to be freed. All seem Sakyans, said Horiya. Please explain one other thing to me. I want to know how to recognise a wise person when I see them. Does the wise person still have any desires or are they completely wishless? Do they still need to learn or is their wisdom complete? A wise person, Horiya, said the Buddha, 
does not have desires, nor do they still need to learn. They are wishless, they have wisdom, and you can recognize them because they are a person of nothing. They do not hang on to pleasure or on to being. Next was the Brahmin student Kappa. Sir, he said, there are people stuck midstream in a terror and a fear and the rush of the river of being, and death and decay overwhelm them. For their sake, sir, tell me where to find an island. Tell me where there is solid ground beyond the reach of all this pain. Kappa, said the master, for the sake of those people stuck in the middle of the river of being, overwhelmed by death and decay, I will tell you where to find solid ground. There is an island, an island which you cannot go beyond. It is a place of nothingness, a place of non-possession and of non-attachment. It is the total end of death and decay. That is why I call it Nibbana. There are people who, in mindfulness, have realised this and are completely called here and now. They do not become slaves working for death. They cannot fall into its power. Then the Brahmin student Jatukani spoke. I had heard he said that there was an ocean crosser, a hero, desiring the desireless. And so I have come to ask a question of this man without desire. Tell me this, I of instant seeing knowing, what is the state of peace? Please explain it to me as it really is. You, Master, will desire and pleasure like the sun with heat and light. Like the sun with heat and light rules and controls the earth. Have only a little understanding, sir, and you are a globe full of wisdom. Tell me where to find and know the way of giving up this world of birth and ageing. The Buddha replied to Jatakani, Lose the greed for pleasure. See how letting go of the world is peacefulness. There is nothing you need to hold on to, and there is nothing you need to push away. Dry up the remains of your past and have nothing for your future. If you do not cling to the present, then you can go from place to place in peace. There is a greed that fixes on the individual body-mind. When that greed is completely gone, then, Brahman, there will be no more inner poison drives, without which you are immune from death. The Brahman student Bhadravada spoke next. I have come, he said, to ask a question. Thirst breaker, wishless, free and wise, beyond time and home, life and pleasure, please open crosses. For all the different people here who have come from different places to listen to your words, tell me about the way you have found and known. The Master replied, There is, in taking things, a thirst, a clinging, a grasping. You must lose it. You must lose it altogether, above, below, around and within. It makes no difference what it is you are grasping at. When a person grasps, Death stands beside them. Therefore, a practitioner realising this should not grasp at anything, being mindful. They should see that being that a, excuse me, 
They should see the beings and creatures of attachment as tied to the power of death. Then the Brahmin student Adai spoke. Gone beyond in every way, he said, the ultimate in everything. When he sits in meditation, there is no poison to infect him, no dust speck to impede him. He has done what has to be done. This is the man I have come to with my question. This, sir, is it. Can you tell me about the knowledge that frees? Can you tell me about how to remove ignorance? The removal of both the intense desire for sensuous things, said the Buddha, and the grief, the rejection of laziness and the resistance to one. The purity of perfect, balanced mindfulness built on a basis of seeing the way things are. This is liberation knowledge and this is the destruction of ignorance. What binds and ties down the world? What causes the wandering? What is, is it you abandon in order to find nirvana? That which ties you down, said the Buddha, is the desire for pleasure. The wandering is applied thought. The way to nirvana is to abandon the thirst of desire. I have come with these questions, Master, and I hope you will answer one more, said Odaya. How does the mindful wanderer bring their mind flow to an end? The Master replied, the sensations they feel from the inside have no fascination for them. And the sensations they feel from the outside no longer fascinate. The wanderer is mindful and brings their mind flow to an end. Then the student Posala got up to speak. In everything, he said to the Master, you have reached perfection. There is not a movement of desire nor a remnant of doubt left in you. And so I have come to you, you can explain what has happened in the past, to ask this question. I want to ask you, man of Sakya, about knowledge. The person is no longer confined to seeing forms, he has discarded materialistic limitations, and he sees that there is neither inner nor outer substance to things. Is there then anything more for him to know? To the Tathagata, the man thus come, replied the Buddha, all the aspects and stages of mind are clear. And so, when a person who has set their sights on freedom reaches their goal, the Tathagata knows what stage they have reached. When they have realised the binding power of pleasure is rooted in nothingness, then they have come to a clear understanding of this process. This knowledge they have the completely accomplished Brahman has achieved completely. The next to speak was a Brahman student, Mogaraja. Man of Sakya, he said, I've asked about this twice before without receiving an answer from the wisdom eye. But I have heard that if a wisdom god is asked a third time, then they will give an answer. I do not know, famous Gautama, what attitude you take towards this world and towards the other world, the world of Brahma and the gods. So because of your insight into excellence, I have come to ask you about this. What is the best, best way for a person to regard the world so that the king of death won't see them? The master replied, 
If you are always aware, Vogaraja, you will look at the world and see its emptiness. If you give up looking at yourself as a soul, as a fixed and special identity, then you will have given yourself a way to go beyond death. Look at the world like this, and the king of death will not find you. Then the Brahman Pingya spoke, I am old and decaying. My body is weak and my skin is pale. I can hardly see and I can only hear with difficulty. Don't let me die while I am still in confusion about the teachings of the way things are. Teach me so that I will know how to leave birth and ageing behind. Look, replied the Buddha, look how many people are tormented by pain. Look how careless they are and how greatly they suffer because of body and forms. If you do not want to go on and on becoming Pingya, you must let go of the body and of forms. In all ten directions, said Pingya, above, below and all, in every quarter of the compass, there is not a thing that you have not heard, seen, known or understood. Teach me the way things are, so that I shall know how to leave birth and ageing behind me. Can you see, said the Buddha, how people are oppressed by desire? Can you see how they are wrapped and worn by ageing? If you do not want to go on becoming Pingya, you must let go of craving. And so we get to the epilogue. This is what the Master said when the 16 Brahmins came to the rock temple in Magadha to ask him their questions. If you know what each question means, see what each question implies, and live in accordance with the way things are, then you will go beyond. You will cross the ocean of death and ageing and reach the other shore. These things lead to the other shore. That is why this teaching is called Parayana, the way to the beyond. There were 16 of them who came to see the Buddha that time. There was Ajitta, Tisamatya, Punika, Metagyu, Dotika, Upasiva, Nanda, Himaka, Todiya, Kapa, Jatukani the scholar, Vajravada, Udaya, Pasala, Mogaraja the learned, and the great, great Pingya the wise. These were the men who came to see the Buddha, and the one of perfect action. They came to the Buddha to put their complex questions to this paragon of understanding. The Buddha answered the questions with the exactness of truth, just as things are. The Brahmins were pleased to hear the words of this wise one. And so, filled with pleasure by the clear-sighted vision of this kinsman of the sun, they settled down to a life of purity and goodness, spent in the shelter of the precious wisdom of the Buddha. Anyone whose life accords with what the Buddha taught these answers goes across the ocean from here to the beyond. From this shore to the other, this is crossing the ocean, this is travelling on a higher <coughs> path, just a path that leads to the other shore. That is why it is called Parayana, the way to the beyond. Pingya praises the way to the beyond. 
I will sing you the praises of the way to the beyond, said Pingir, when he returned to where the Brahman Bavari lives on the banks of the river Godavari. It was described to us by this person exactly as they saw it. And, but then there isn't any reason why one like him should lie, a mammoth of knowledge and completely pure, a person without desire. When a voice has none of the glibness of pride, none of the ingrained stains of ignorance, when its words are full of sweetness and beauty, it is such words that I praise now. They call him Buddha, enlightened, awake, dissolving darkness with total vision and knowing the world to its ends. He has gone beyond in all the states of being and of becoming. He has no inner poison drives. He is the total elimination of suffering. This one, Brahman Vavari, is the person I follow. It is like a bird that leaves the bushes of the scrubland and flies to the fruit of the forest. I too have left the bleary half-light of opinions. Like a swan, I have reached the great lake. Up till now, before I heard Gautama's teaching, people had always told me this. This is the way it is. And this is how it always will be. Only the constant refrain of tradition, a breeding ground for speculation. This beam of light, Gautama, was the only one who dissolved the darkness. This Gautama is a universe of wisdom and a world of understanding. A teacher whose dharma is the way things are, instant, immediate, invisible all around, eroding desire without harmful side effects worth nothing else quite like it anywhere in the world. But Pingir, said Bavari, why then don't you spend all your time, your every moment, with Gautama, this universe of wisdom, this world of understanding? This teacher whose dharma is the way things are, instant, immediate, visible all around, eroding desire without, without harmful side effects, and with nothing else quite like it anywhere in the world. Brahman sir, said Pingir, there is not, there is no moment for me, however small, to have spent away from Gautama, from this universe of wisdom, this world of understanding. This teacher, whose teaching is the way things are, instant, immediate, and visible all around, eroding desire without harmful side effects, with nothing else quite like it anywhere in the world. You see, sir, said Pingir, with constant and careful vigilance, it is possible for me to see him with my mind as clearly, with my own eyes, as night as if it was day. And since I spend my nights revering him, there is not in my mind a single moment spent away from him. I cannot now move away from the teaching of Gautama, the power of confidence and joy, of in intellect and awareness, hold me there. Whichever way this universe of wisdom goes, draws me with it. Physically, I cannot move like that. My body is decaying. I am old and weak. But the driving power of purposeful thought propels me with it without break. There was a time when, writhing in the mud of the swamps, I could only drift from one stone to the next, but then I saw the Samputta, fully awake and free from defilement. 
Then the Buddha spoke. Pingya, he said, other people have freed themselves by the power of confidence. Vakala, Bhadravada, Lavi Gautama have all done this. You too should let the strength, that strength release you. You too will go to the further shore, beyond the draw of death. These words, said Pingya, are the words of a person of wisdom. As I hear them, I became more confident. This person is Sambhuta. He has opened the curtains and woken up. There is nothing barren there. His mind is clear and luminous. Everything accessible to knowledge is known to him, even the ultimate subtleties of Godhood. There are no more questions for the doubtful who come to him. The teacher has answered them all. Yes, I shall go there. I shall go beyond change. I shall go beyond formations. I shall go beyond comparison. There are no more doubts. You may consider this as mind released. So I don't know how it lands, because it has some very strong passages in it. And in a way, I find it helpful for my own part to see that some people say it's a discourse on clinging. But my way of considering it is the profound teaching on the Four Noble Truths. So it really talks about suffering, the cause, clinging, freedom from suffering, the experience of Nibbana, the release and the path. So it's in that way we'll contemplate it. And it's helpful because it has this strong injunction that can can seem like it's aimed at um, folk who aren't living in the world, you know, in terms of the kind of renunciant aspect of it, to realise actually we we practice it more profoundly in terms of renunciation in the mind, you know, letting go of unwholesome mind states. This is the work. You know, the outer is easy, the inner is about letting go of unwholesomeness, you know, which we're all cultivating. Yeah, so. Don't be intimidated by some of the forms. You know, they're very much about the time and the place, two and a half, or more than two and a half thousand years ago. So, so we'll look at it as an exploration on the Four Noble Truths. And you, know, you have some, you, know, you can read it and look at it yourself in terms of my talking to it, what I'm going to do is provide a practitioner's response. So I'm not doing a scholastic response to it, which will be a whole other thing. This this passage I've read you, there's a whole book in the the Sutta Pitaka that is Sariputta's analysis of it. Unfortunately, it's yet to be translated into English. But it was a very important text 
And at that time, people might arrive at the Buddha and actually recite it. You know, and there's a sutta in the Sangyutta that talks about one, in, one of the leading female lay disciples of the Buddha rising every morning and reciting the sutta. So it was, was really revered. It is really revered. And it's got some of the most famous passages on Nibbana in it. So, you know, for me to talk about it as a uh, sutra on clinging is to see the glass half empty. Yeah? Or if we just look at the Nibbanic aspects, you know, they're kind of half full, but you know, the, the real sense that this is about the cup being broken, as Ajahn Chah was saying. Really, that complete experience of the Four Noble Truths. So, I hope you could hear it from a place of just taking what's relevant to you at this time and place. Because you know? we could spend you know, the rest of our lives sitting here talking about it. Yeah? It's so rich. So we're just going to, I will, in my talks, just pick up little aspects that I found really helpful to contemplate. So we can even think in terms of the prologue, that first piece. And you know, what I really hear in that, it really resonates for myself in the beginning of a retreat. There's Paul Vivari, and he encounters incredible dukkha. So his mind won't even settle in meditation. And this is a man who's been practicing, he's 120 years old, he's versed in everything, and he's been practicing with the Brahmic tradition where you, cont- you, know, you get your mind into very absorbed states. So he has a lot of cultivation in terms of jhanic practice. Yeah? But something's happened and his mind's in confusion. And then someone, you know, this goddess comes along and says, well, don't listen to him. There is the possibility of healing. There is the Buddha. And, and the suffering begins to search. Yeah? Which is all of our experience. Yeah? It's, it's dukkha which becomes the ground for the search. We go, well, this hurts like hell, how do I get out of here? Yeah? And the great inquiry begins. So in that way, this suit is very beautiful because it has this classical unfolding that fits with our own experience. And what's really interesting when we contemplate, when you read that first bit, this man has practiced generosity. He's received a lot, he's given it all away. He's been practicing virtue. And they talk about them not having lost the scent of their previous good deeds. So they've really, they understand their wholesomeness. You know, they're using that as a strength. And these are all things we do, we can do, we can really bring into our awareness. You know, as we're practicing here, we can take incredible confidence in the fact that here we are, we're, we've renounced a tremendous amount just to be here, haven't we? Yeah? So we can trust ourselves. 
and we can start the inquiry. But I think enough for tonight. Given how tired some of you are, I'll leave you with it and we'll start to unpack it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.